welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. So for those of you that are new, um, or maybe you forgot, my name is C.J. Reynolds and I run this YouTube channel called Real Rap with Reynolds. And the whole idea behind this crazy creation of me being, you know, a grown man with the YouTube channel is uh, trying to help teachers, trying to help folks out and create a community or be a part of a community rather that is uh, showing up to things like this on a Sunday afternoon when it's totally beautiful outside today. But like we're, we're going to be inside for an hour or so talking about stuff that matters to you, uh, especially with regards to education. So um, if you're just here new, all you have to do is put your question in on the side. If you put a Q or the word question next to it, it just helps us identify it quicker. But do not be surprised if somebody that you've never met before in your life starts speaking to you on the side there, because that is what happens. This is not just me, but this is me talking, but then all these other folks kind of having their own conversations and talking about stuff and sharing ideas and stuff like that as well. If this interests you and, um, and it's not enough, like it hasn't satiated your appetite, there's also a book that I wrote called Teach Your Class Off. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, you can also have me speak at your school, which right now that looks like we're virtual, unless you live in like three states in the country where they're still actually like meeting together in schools. Um, but I'm happy to do any of that stuff. We also have a Facebook group, Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk. There's a podcast, Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk on, on everywhere you can get a podcast. Do we have anything else? Um, no, there's lots of stuff. Just that's, Google it. I just think. Google Real Rap with Reynolds and you'll find all the stuff. Um, so that's it. So we're going to, we're going to jump in the questions. Are you ready? Yes. You feeling set? I have something in my eye. There's something, it's weird when you have to mess with your eye when you're on here. Cause then it looks all bloodshot and looks like you were doing something. I don't know. Mind altering before this. I like when you read the questions real slow before you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and then it just jumped. Wait, where is it? Yeah? The first one. Q. Oh, oh, all right. Well, usually you put them like all the way at the top. But I can't because there's no more comments. Oh. Gotcha, girl. Um, Anna Ballerina is asking, well, when you go to school for education, specifically secondary, what classes do you take? Um, what kind of things do you learn? So, man, to be fair, I had a sense that the stuff I was learning was not going to be as relevant as I wanted to. Um, the classes that I had, the most meaningful class I had in college was I had two classes that were taught by this woman, uh, Dr. Jorgensen, who was a professor at Rowan University, and she was fantastic. But I think the reason I loved her so much was because she taught for like 25 years or something and then went into educating educators. And most of my teachers, I didn't get the sense that they did that. Most folks that taught me, I didn't feel like, I don't think they ever taught before. They went to school and studied, you know, like adolescent behavior, but they never like, like dealt with it uh, on the scale that we deal with it in, in class. Um, so I'd say, you know, I just remember learning about like educational law. I remember learning about like things like classroom management, creating engaging curriculum and, and uh, ideas in the classroom. Um, and then I, I just, my overwhelming sense, and look, this is skewed. I, I can't remember back that far, but part of it, I remember being told to play it safe, to be smart, um, to be careful. And I get all that because there's a lot of crazy people in schools and they do a lot of crazy stuff. And, you know, students are, are, are dealing with the aftermath of that. That being said, 
I don't think school, especially in the state in which education is in, should ever be played safe. Like, I think you should, like, you should be teaching with reckless abandon. The reason the the book is called Teach Your Class Office because I just think people should get excited. Use your gifts. Use what's special about you. Use what you bring to the table. Use what gets you excited. Figure out who your students are. Connect with them. Build relationships. Have crazy classrooms. Decorate your room in, like, the greatest. Like, have your kids walk in and be in awe of something do something in class that's going to leave them in awe. We'll connect with them and create lessons based around who they are in a sense that's going to get them stoked to be in class and not like, you know, no, don't play it safe until you have like tenure or something like that. That's the worst thing that you can do. So that's what I remember learning about. Um, but that might have just been my young idealistic self thinking like these people don't know. And they probably, in retrospect, knew a hell of a lot more than I gave them credit for. So um, I don't, I'd love to take an education class again just to see, mm. like, what people are talking about and what they do and what they say and stuff like that. So that would be interesting. Um, Joanne is asking. There's three, and you'll see what she says. Oh, says okay, got it. Um, so the beginning of my teaching career, I taught middle school in Baltimore, which is now closed, uh, which is now closed due to being on the persistently violent list. I now teach in an Arizona suburb. Uh, it is 97% white, a very different racial makeup. Um, oops, here's the question, it says. So how would you integrate teaching about topics that are that actually are political without risking being accused of, quote unquote, trying to warp the minds of young uh, with your politics? So I think this is a great question because one, I don't know what it is about the school that I'm at, but I, we could talk about anything. Um, and, and that's, I, I forget, and I'm saying that because I forget that a lot of other folks don't teach with that sort of freedom. Um, where I have a friend who teaches at a very elite private school, very good friend of mine, um, that I used to teach with in West Philly, now lives in California, teaches at a very elite private school. And when he brings up certain things like um, women's rights, like uh talking about like immigrants and, and stuff like that like because he's a he's a his family immigrated from uh the philippines and that's something that's very much part of his heart when he brings these up he'll get parent phone calls that say like this here he is the teacher's trying to like you know uh you know hit us with his liberal agenda and what what i think that becomes what i think the way around that perhaps is is Oftentimes when we share things in class, whether it's about politics or um, race or, you know, women's rights or LGBTQ community, like anything that is like, is kind of a little bit nerve wracking for a lot of folks to deal with. I simply offer up the topic. Or if someone asks a question, I let the kids have the conversation. And then our job, I think, is to facilitate that conversation. Now, look, you're going to do that with some level of bias, I am certain. Because, you know, to be fair, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that sometimes certain things are so ingrained in us that we don't really know that we're even coming from a space that is biased, right? That being said, um, I think it just comes up with opening things up to actually having those conversations. Because a lot of the books and the stories that we're reading, they were coming from so-called troublemakers anyway, right? Like there are tons of books that we read in our class that don't, that seem sort of innocuous now, but like Fahrenheit 451, like that rate, people raised hell about that book when it came out or Lord of the Flies or of Mice and Men, right? These books that look like 
they are white writers what writing about white people um but really like this caused a lot of chaos back in the day so um so it's funny that we that we allow those things in our classrooms that we don't want to like actually talk about like the real like the real stuff that's going on in there so i think if i was going if i was in a school where i felt that way or i felt like parents were going to get upset it's not me pushing my agenda it's me creating a safe space for students to explore what they are curious about and that is part of the job of school right if we're not teaching children that they can ask questions that they can be curious that they can push back that they that even two people in the classroom that do not agree on something can have um, an honest and fair discourse with one another where they are at learning how to do things like actively listen. Like the reason there's so much divide in my humble, you know, opinion here is that uh, in our country, there's such this divide because we're not really listening to listen to someone else. And active listening means you're listening to someone. And then if I'm having an argument with my wife, I can say back to her exactly what she just said. Like, so what I'm hearing is you feel like this, and not just thinking about what I want to say next. So I think that that's how I would approach that. If something comes up in class, if you want to talk about something in class, if the students want to talk about something in class, you are just trying your best to create an open and honest space for, for people that may not agree to have to talk about stuff and to share and to be active listeners. And so it's all the same stuff we're teaching kids to do with like things like persuasive essay anyway. Um, so I just, or debate team anyway. So that's how I think I would handle that situation. I'm really interested in like, if you are in a particularly like tricky space, like your school is like super, you know, whether it's left or it's right or it's conservative or it's um, doesn't doesn't broach those topics. Like how, how are you handling those things, um, especially in light of, of current events and all the things that are going on in our world today? You're going to have a lot more questions to be uh, able to share your own. Okay. <laughs> see them so um, look, let me remind everybody on the front end. One, I don't know everything, but two, I'm not afraid to talk about anything either. And if I don't know something, I'll just say, tell you that I don't know. I've done that tons of times. I shoot it out to the, everyone in the uh, comment section here, but uh, nothing's off the, the table here. I'm willing to like have a conversation about anything. Um, so yeah. Uh, Jason is asking, what strategies do you use to keep students engaged with material? How can a teacher make class interesting? Jason, I think that the best thing that you can do to make class engaging is to let students know that you actually care. And I think you do that by saying, I'm so glad you're in my class. I really care that you're in here and I want this to be the greatest year ever. Like we can't just expect the kids to remember. And like, I, I find it's even on uh, parent teacher night. So students won't always show their cards. My guys like just kind of hold up. And then they just kind of are waiting it out to see if you are really about what you're about. And they're not going to show you any sign of whether or not they agree with you. They're excited. They're happy. So like I'll parents call me and they're like, oh, my son loves your class. And I'm like, your kid that looks like this every day. I'm like, really? Like, but on parent teacher night, I do the same thing. When parents come in, I go, I want you to know something on the front end. One, I really love what I do. Two, your student success is the most paramount thing to me this year. And three, I want to have the greatest year ever. I'll do anything that I can to make that happen. That puts parents in a space of like, how many teachers say that? Like, I've been to a lot of back to school nights that I've been a part of a school or I've gone to for my own kids. I have never ever heard a teacher say never. they were excited about being here, that they loved what they did, that we were going to have like... Parents, rest assured, we're going to have an awesome year. That doesn't mean everybody has an awesome year. Some kids just don't want to do school. Some kids have 
more stacked against them than I am capable of dealing with in one year or me and my team are capable of dealing with in one year. But that's part of it. The second thing is all these, of course, relationships, building relationships with students, um, which I have a ton of videos on, so I won't go too much into that, but it's like basically showing it's building relationships with kids to show them that you care and to find out what they like so that you can teach through that lens of the things that they are already interested in. Um, and then don't be afraid. Like you have to give zero about anybody um, thinking, there he goes again. Oh, they're outside today. Look, oh, look, you're outside today. Or what's going on? Your room is too loud. We can't even hear next door. And look, there's space for that because there are times when I'm doing independent reading with my guys and it sounds like madness next door. And I got to go over and say, bro, we're trying to read and we can't, or we're taking a test and we can't. Um, but we're loud all the time in my class. We're out in the hallway, we're outside, we're moving around, we're walking around the school and doing stuff and in the dining hall and on the stage and all this stuff. And it's like, I used to get nervous about that because you see the looks that you get from other educators sometimes. But um, I just can't pay attention to that because you know why? Our job's too important and, and education's only ever about the students. It's not about me anyway. Um, Sam Josh is asking, uh, I'm looking at this profile picture. I'm trying to figure out what, what's, what I'm looking at. Sorry, I got distracted because I have ADD. Um, I am an aspiring teacher and I'm worried about my political views preventing me from getting a job. I'm right of center. Should I be politically active if I become, if I come back, if it comes back to bite me later? So that's a great question. I would say, Sam, that I am who I am but in an unfair way, it sort of aligns with many of the things that my school does, right? So um, I will say that at the moment, my school has not taken, taken an active or an active role in what's happening, right? So like our students, and, and I'm, I'm being gentle with this, right? I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus or, or say anything um, that, because I don't have anyone to have a, a conversation with, but... As of right now, right, our students, our student population is about 99% um, black males, and, and it's all male school. We have not done anything at, as a collective to stand like with Black Lives Matter to talk again about anything else in, in that realm, to talk about uh, anything in, in that space. Um, but I have, right? So, and but I, I don't know. Like, let me let me ask you this because I think, am I doing that? Because that's just what I do, or like, I wonder if like I taught at a school that was like, yo, we're not condoning this. We're not condoning the activities that are happening, and no, like, and I don't want to go into that, that's not necessarily where I'm going right now. Like, whether or not I condone like protests and stuff like that, but like, in standing with folks and putting out a video like we put out the other day, the um, educators talking about race to be posting the stuff that I'm posting on social media. Um, or a number of other people that we know that are like- What's your actual question? Like, so like, should folks be mindful of that? I'm, gonna say, I'm, I'm talking myself into something. I would say you don't have to be mindful of that. I think you need to be who you are, but if you're being it in, I, I think if we are being who we are in a way, in a place that comes from, look, the, the, my place always comes from love. It always comes from growth. I'm not posting anything on social media that I am like trying to, to 
to like, I'm not trying to punch people in the face with truth. What I'm trying to do is help folks to see or to question what they're doing or or what they're thinking or feeling, and then figure out a plan to move forward, right? It's about growth for me. Um, Even what's happening with regards to Black Lives Matter movement right now is very interesting to me. It's very interesting to me, like the sort of things that people choose to post on social media, because not because I'm judging what they're doing, because I'm wondering what the next step is. How does this impact your curriculum, your life, your your interaction with your community? Um, Because if we don't go somewhere with this, it is it's worthless, right? It, it was just a flash in the pan. It's like, you know, yeah, we did it. I posted the black square, but what's that really having an impact on on your community, on, the, on our country? How is that impacting it? So I would say, be mindful. Like you might get some hate for that. You might get some pushback for that. They might not want someone that's, that's wrapped up in that or in any of the things that you believe in. But I, I think that if what you're doing can be if it's about the students, right? If, if it's about love, if it's about coming at something and wanting folks to, to grow um, and not just like punching people in the face with the truth, like um, that that's where I come from and, and I feel comfortable with that. So I think that's the best way that I can sort of answer that question. And you also never go at things with like a, a way to like, you're just trying to win an argument or you're very... Yeah, the way you argue is is really interesting. And it's a way that I think that that should be modeled more because it's not about winning. It's always about growth. And 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 you're always meeting people where they kind of are within because everybody's going to be at a different place within all subjects, right? And so to move someone forward it's it's to you just do it so gently and gracefully. I wish more So first of all, I really appreciate hearing you say that because I have what I think. Because I'm the opposite. I'm talking about, and, oh, we know. Um, <laughs> you're the mom bear. Uh, but I, I think the, I think this, this adds to the conversation too, real quick. I just want to say that when we come at things with curiosity, so if someone is, has different political views than you do, and they say, vote for this candidate, that's who I'm, that's who I'm voting for. Some people will just go, you're an ass. Like, I, now I can't even talk to you because you are like yeah. that. To me, it's like, that's really curious that you would say that. Like, what would make you vote for that candidate? What would make you take that stance? What would make you stand mm-hmm. on the sidelines or or get into the protests? Or why, why are you doing what you're doing? I just find that that sort of curiosity, it does the same thing with our students. What you're doing is learning how to build relationships. And not everyone that I, that I like, I, we have friends that have vastly different views than we do on in a number of things. Um but it's but it is always interesting to me as to why they got they are there how they got to that place like um and and why why are they why are they thinking those things anyway i just think that that's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. um jake is asking i do my first year of teaching in september just finished uh training any advice given the current state of the world jake i would say look man th- my first year advice is basically the same every single year for for new teachers i have no idea what to expect this year i don't know if we're going back to school in the fall i don't know how if we do distance learning like are we a little bit in school are we a little bit out of school i saw pictures of um and i don't know if this is just a one-off thing of schools in china where the students had like these hats on essentially had pool needles coming pool noodles coming off of them um to, to remind them of social distancing and I think any school that can pull that off should be commended. 
because I know my students would be taking those pool noodles off and sword fighting with them. I think they'd be hitting each other in the head with those things. Like it would just, it would go seven different ways of wrong in my school uh, just because they're teenagers and that's what they do. Um, so I don't know what to expect. I would say to be flexible, to not be hard on yourself and to know that this is a moment in time that we will grow out of and come out of. I don't see or hear the news even though depending on which news channel you watch is completely different you know information but nothing so far has showed me that we don't go back to to brick and mortar schools right so like all of the stuff you've learned about watched about thought about dreamt about we will get there but this is going to be this kind of weird thing where any teacher will tell you right now it's been more like the a team than anything else no no school that i know has had like a completely cohesive coherent plan as to how we're going to execute on this it's uh, it's everyone's just kind of like what are we doing like i'm on the phone with teachers i'm like dude what are you doing this week how are you continuing to make this exciting nine weeks in um because it's it's trouble are you looking at squirrels outside no all right um did you see the mock-up uh classroom that some it was in the states had like plastic partitions for like zero separate rooms for like and i'm just like what i get that everybody's going through the process of trying to figure out what's the best scenario for next year but it's like i don't there's no best how chance of having them all in school through those well how do you make sure that they everyone... don't go all the way to the ceiling which to me it's like what is that preventing like you still sneeze in your bubble it can't go over the like i just don't understand anything. it's like it's really it's like just we kind are, of funny yeah it's like when you go to the oh erica said that the plastic partitions were there in arizona where she is i was at the liquor store the other day <laughs> getting wine and instead of glass they had a clear like painter's tarp, like one of those real cheap ones. I mean, it still and does it was just the job. Flipped to the ceiling and then just hung down. And I was just like, it still does I know, the job. but like it is, it is so, it's so crazy to me. So my answer is, I don't really know what to expect. I would just be willing to roll with anything. And when you're coming up with lessons, if your school doesn't provide stuff, don't recreate the wheel. Like there's tons of free stuff online. Like um, I'm doing a brand deal with a company called HMH right now. So I, just to, that's a caveat, but they have, I found out through doing this partnership, they have free stuff on their website. Scholastic has free stuff on their website. New York times lesson plans has free stuff on their website that you can use in class. That is really good stuff. That is a good starting point for any number of things. So that's the other thing I would think about is like, don't go crazy because everyone's trying to figure this out. And, and kind of the cool thing about starting next year is like, nobody is necessarily better at this than anyone else really because we're just trying to all figure it out uh mm. logan is asking um how do i as a black teacher deal with my essentially all white staff in the aftermath of this movement um logan i that's a really great question i i think oh gosh i'm how do we deal with this me even on a personal note I, just even walking around and encountering like an african-american or someone that's someone's black i just feel like there's been so much divide created it, it's like hard even for me as a person so i can't even i just i just i don't know i know we were never together obviously but like or certain people or it's just showing it just feels also strange right now i would i would my sense is logan to, to speak to this from from the place in which i can speak to it from right um because you know to be fair like to just 
to say it out loud, right? You might have watched my content. You might know where I come from already on this sort of thing. But like um, being a white man, having privilege in my life and going to school and never having to worry about, do people see me? Do they like me? Am I going to be respected? Like I just assume everybody's going to. Um, and that's pretty great to be able to walk into somewhere and feel that. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, when I go back, the people that I am going to talk to about this are the people I've already talked to anyway. Um, and, and what I'd hate to see is like white educators, like, cause I, I think black educators in, in large part get put in these tricky situations a lot of times where it's like, they are the disciplinary. Like I see this in school all the time where like I have two very good friends, Mr. Meeks and Mr. Stu and Mr. Stu, Stu. And uh, <laughs> Stu is, um, is always like, the folks will call him over to kind of like speak some truth to someone. And it's like, bro, fix handling your own situation or like, or like work as part of a community. Cool. But like, can't just call them like black educators all the time to like deal with, you know, black kid problems in their class. Um, so I think it is having authentic and conversations about people if they're willing to, like, I, I think that's where, I think that's where everything comes down to, right. Is if we are communicating with folks and we're being authentic and we're talking about something and it's not like, you are, you know, being careful that you're not felt of or seen as like the token, like black educator in your school. And you must know all the things about black lives matter. And like, it's like that kind of a thing. Um, I don't, gosh, that's a great question. I'm going to have a better answer for that. I need to figure, I need to, I need to have someone else speak that. I feel like my guy Shivy. Uh, so if you go on Instagram, don't call me Shivy or call me. I don't know. I would say don't call me, uh, call me Shivy. I feel like we'd have a great answer for that. Or I'm wondering for other folks, if you're in here and you are um, a person of color and you're an educator, especially if you are, if there are not a lot of folks that are, um, that look like you teaching in your school, how are you handling that situation? Because I feel like this is a great space to talk about that. Or in the Facebook group at Real Rapids Reynolds Teacher Talk, um, because, and and the reason I say that is because, uh, and I'm not trying to shirk that question off, Here's my reason is that the folks that I'm already in authentic community with at my school that don't look like me, that don't come from the same background as me. um, I already have those connections there. So if they come over for a beer or if we're hanging at school, talking about something, those conversations can already happen authentically and and in a safe space. And we can really like, we don't have to agree on everything. Like we can butt heads on stuff, but we are almost like in this covenant together to know that we're going to work it out. Right. Like that's not going to be like it's not going to be a divide for us. And when we can create those spaces for educators and for students, um, we're doing them a service because we are creating a space where we can actually have a conversation. And when we are like, but when that comes from some inauthentic place, that gets really difficult because now we're talking about something and it's like, like if your school never talked about race before and all of a sudden my hope is this year, there's going to be a lot of PDs around this. Right. But then it becomes this very uncomfortable place, which is fine. Um, but it's like, if we aren't, if we, it can't be a one-off, it's gotta be like, we have to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Because once you get used to having uncomfortable conversations, then it's a wrap. Like then you can just do it. Um, and it's, and it's far easier to engage with, but when we are not in a space of being used to having uncomfortable conversations, then it's like, uh, I don't know if I should ask this question. I've always wondered this, you know, you're afraid that some of your, um, your 
your sort of secret bias are going to come through um, and someone's going to see it and they're going to call you out on it. And then it's like, I'm in, I look like an ass. And then, so it's, it's like, we have to, I think, teach people how to have, you know, genuine conversations and be active listeners and then sort of dive into some of this stuff, but it has to be dove into again and again and again and again and again. It's not a one-off PD at the beginning of the year kind of thing. Um, I, I just answered that one. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Want me to sing? No. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Sam is asking a follow-up question. How do I navigate social media while maintaining future job prospects? Sam, I would block your social media um, for any number of reasons, right? I've just seen, like... Your personal one, though. Your, yeah, yeah. So you could have, like, a... Like a, like a teacher you want so like um i used to have and for a number of reasons right one um i don't know if there's a picture of you in a bathing suit or something like that or doing a sweet keg stand in college like you just don't want that getting out there because it looks um like you don't want students you don't want parents you, you don't want to communicate like that's a little bit too deep right like like i i think you know that's that's me and maybe maybe other folks don't see that but um, I just think that like you should be mindful of your personal life. Also, um, as I've gotten larger on social media, uh, I limit the number of times that I have my children. So like I used to have all kinds of pictures of my kids on Instagram when I had, I have another account that no one really knows about. I haven't used it in years really. But it was like me and the kids at the park, me and the kids in the car. Here's my house. Here's my address behind me. Here's like uh, what we're doing, where we're going here, like who we are. And I've learned that I want to limit that because I don't want my, because I don't know who's following me. I don't know who's all out there. And, and, you know, thankfully, to be fair, like we've had, we just get like largely nothing but love on social media for the most part. Twitter's a little bit of a different situation sometimes, but for Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff, um, I don't get hate like a lot of other creators do. And, and that's a good thing. And that's a whole nother conversation, but um, I'm not sure that I want to bring my family into that. So you might just want to be mindful of that too. So if you want to have a, a platform to have that conversation, I would say having one that's specifically based around that best practices, connecting with educators, sharing your thoughts and feelings and, and hopes and dreams in your story and the stories of your students. Like, I think that's a great idea. And I think most educators should be doing that, but just be mindful of the stuff that you have. Um, Cause remember the people that, you put in your pictures might not have signed up for this also. Right. So like, um, there's a reason my wife isn't on my Instagram very often because she doesn't want to be on social media. She doesn't want to have her face out there in front of thousands of people. That's not what she does. Occasionally the hand comes in from the side. Um, but, but that's her choice. And, and my children are too young right now to make that decision also. So that's part of the reason I don't do it. Uh, Seamus, man, I only know one person in my whole life named Seamus. That is amazing. Now I know, now there's two people. I just feel like that's not a name you hear very often. Awesome. Um, hey, Reynolds, uh, would you get yourself involved in teacher trainings? Yep. So, Seamus, I do this often. I travel around to different schools, especially in the summer, um, and I speak to educators all the time. I run PDs. I do keynote talks and stuff like that. I'm at, um, to, like, different teacher conferences all the time talking about stuff. Uh, I've never done, like, a like a – I've worked with colleges where like, I will be like a guest speaker or a lecturer or run a lesson for a night. So I'll go to different schools and, and sit in and, and do that. Um, 
but I've been asked a lot to do like what I teach like a course at a college. I just don't have, that takes way too much time for me to be able to do that. And I have too much, there's only one me and there's not enough of me to begin with. Um, but I love that. So that's part of the reason I do the YouTube channel. It's part of the reason I wrote the book. Um, and then anyone that's ordering the book, I'm offering this thing. So if you and a group of educators from your school or your district or whatever, order the book. Uh, first of all, if you go through me, you get a discount rate if you order like a certain number. And then um, I'm doing Skype calls or Zoom calls with uh, schools or districts that have read the book. So anyone that wants to be involved with that, they read the book, they go through the you know, however many weeks that they're talking about it. And then I'll zoom or Skype with you and have that conversation and, and talk about like whatever your questions are and stuff. So yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, Becca, the blondie is asking, do you have any advice for getting a job as an aide? I was a sub last year and a volun and volunteer at a daycare and, uh, for a research project for a few months, but it seems like everyone has more experience than me. So Becca, that's, that's a great question. I, to me, right, someone in the side might know this better, and I'm really, really would love to know, like, what your take is on this. But my sense would be that it's all who you know, right? So the more times you show up, the more times you're involved, the more times that people know who you are, that they can count on you, that they know you're a caring person, that they know you're about the kids, the, the opportunities are going to show up. And so I think about, like, when I – substituted for the three I substituted for three days I couldn't stand it um <laughs> but there was another guy do you remember that dude that used to work with us at Windsor Township and he was a sub all the time like full time oh yeah, yeah yeah and because they knew who he was they knew they could trust him he knew the kids he knew the staff they liked him it was like you didn't have to figure it out it wasn't like a like a the pick of the litter that day it was like you're like it wasn't like a you were shaking a magic eight ball like you knew what you were going to get if you hired this person so I think just being a part of the community and trying to connect with people as much as possible. And then through that, that's how everything comes. And look, this is like a life skill of mine. Like the reason I've gotten opportunities that other like YouTubers haven't or authors haven't is because whenever I go to anything, whenever I go to a conference and I might put myself on blast here because people are going to know my secret plan here. Um, I get to know everyone to the level where should I tell them about our secret Google slide? I think you've already said that. Right, I'm gonna tell them again. Where my wife and makes you told Google slides. That of, I did it with, of like, at the conference. Yeah, because it was awesome. Um, where like my wife will put a picture of someone and a brief bio of who they are. So I'm at the conference. I'm like, oh look, there's Brad Hubbard over there, superintendent, and uh, you know whatever, whatever. And then uh, I go, okay, Brad's got three kids. Blah blah blah. Like I just look, whatever I can get off. Like when they put their bios on. The, the website for the conference, I have that there. And then I go over and I engage. And because- Yeah, I don't deep dive. Let's not get creepy. No, I don't no, deep no. dive into people. It's just whatever the bio is. Yeah. Thing. But you bullet point it for me. So I don't have to like and read I the whole thing. And I put it in a, a form for you. Yeah. And so the, the beauty of that is the more I know people, the more opportunities show up. And I'm doing it for good reason. It's not like I'm just trying to creep and like get, get all the money. But it's like, no, I'm trying to empower educators. I'm trying to make PD better. I'm trying to make- teachers excited and so i so look i'm doing it i think of it i'm doing it for teachers and, and students to like, be honest i do that for you because you can't remember those things no i like, can't remember anyone's see, name oh my goodness all of us like our maybe it's something in the water over here our i think it's also the older i've gotten 
So I made a visual aid for you. That's all I did. I was just trying to help you out. Visual aids. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so that's that's what I think. I think it's the getting to know people game. Joanne is asking follow-up question. Do you have a reader's theater version of Lord of the Flies? I'd love to read it with my lower level readers. Um, yeah, so if you go on, I, we read it as a, as a play uh, and I have adapted it somewhat, but I don't, that looks very messy because there's like the one I found online has like a ton of spelling errors and stuff in it. Um, there, there's one available on Amazon. If you go to any one of my videos, um, especially well, the ones that I put like all the stuff in the description box, the lives don't always get that. There is a link to my Amazon page and look on the front end, I will make three cents off of this. Literally, if you buy this. So like, I'm not sending you there so I can take your money. Although that three cents adds up over time. Um, Occasionally we'll get a, a $15 every, every eight months. We get a $3 <laughs> check from Amazon. Um, but on there, if you go on there and you follow my Amazon link, you can get to my store on Amazon and I have the Lord of the Flies version of as a play on there. And it's it's only a couple bucks. Uh, but there is one that exists. If you type in um, Lord of the Flies play script or something along those lines into Google, you will find one that you can print out. And that's what I use in class. I print them all out. Um, and I use it for those sort of like reluctant readers or students that are reading on um, on a reading level that's much lower than the rest of their classmates. And that's been awesome because then you're doing it together and it's just more fun. Uh, I'm terrible at speaking of names. I'm going to ruin your name and I apologize. And it has not anything to do with you. It has to do with my inability to read a number of vowels in a row, um, which are you going to start talking about phonemic uh, awareness all of a sudden? This is no, the, we're starting. Uh, we're starting a dyslexia program for Brody, and it's been awesome because the first lesson, as I've been prepping, has been all about like, you know, how do vowels, all these vowels interact with one another? Which is great right? for even us because we, well, we were reading it. We were I was like, reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. It makes so much sense. This is why that R does what it does. <laughs> Open but and close. That little, being said, I will probably mispronounce your name. I apologize. Uh, Minoic? We're going to go with Minoic. Min Mino I'm going to say Minoic. Uh, I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. Um, I'm laughing at dude. No, I'm laughing at Eric. <laughs> um, teamwork makes the dream work. No, she was saying she's waiting for you to pronounce uh, her cousin's name, which is oh, lots brother. of owls. <laughs> um, right. How do you separate work and private time? I'm studying and teaching, and I'm struggling to juggle both of those things and always have and also have time for myself so look i there's a couple of things uh one of this guy that i really like jesse itzler who's an entrepreneur says be where your feet are so um brody got a new video game he started playing this game called minecraft dungeons right it's a really fun game um and i play it because he likes it right like i enjoy hanging out with him but it's like sure if that's what we're doing or we're watching steven universe care about steven universe it's not my favorite show but i watch it because brody watches it uh but when i'm doing minecraft dungeons i often don't even bring my phone upstairs with me uh i just am upstairs and i'm in this for the duration of time that we're playing this together and this is where i am when i'm at school i never ever ever do real rapid rentals work at school when i'm at school i'm 100 percent doing what i'm doing when i'm talking to a student I'm, I'm doing what i'm doing i'm not grading something and they're talking and i'm like yeah, yeah i'm hearing i'm listening to you it's like nope i stop 
Um, I will eat and talk to a student, but I don't ever do like an uh, something that work on something that that's needs to be done a task while talking to a student. Um, when I'm hanging with my wife, it's the same thing. When we're watching TV at night, it's often the same thing. Unless the TV show gets boring, I start looking at social media. Um, but I'm trying to do whatever it is that I'm doing. Now, here's the beauty of that. When you are super hyper-focused in and you're just doing emails, that's all you're doing, it takes far less time because now you're not on your phone a little bit. You're not talking to your husband while he's washing dishes. You're not letting the dog out. You're not like doing other things. You're just doing this one thing. You are where your feet plant you. I think that frees up a lot of time. I also chunk my activities. So I will say things like, I'm good. I have a lot of emails to get to. I have 100 emails in my box, but I have 20 minutes right now. So I'm going to get focused. I'm going to do emails for 20 minutes. I'm going to you know, call the herd real quick and like clear out as much nonsense as there is in there and just clear it out and then just start answering back to the ones that need to be answered back to. Um, that helps too because you're giving yourself a time Thing. And there's something called Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law says that an activity takes as much time as we give it. And so if you know that you have to get your room, your house clean, because tomorrow you're having company over, that your house takes all day to freaking clean. If we know someone's coming over in 10 minutes, you'd be amazed at how quickly this house gets cleaned up when someone's coming over in 10 minutes. And that's because I have slot. tactics like hide the dishes in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> We do, do I'm not so sure that it's yeah. cleaning. Which I just turns have into a whole tactics. other issue when the other person's using the oven and they didn't know that person was hiding dishes in the oven. And we're all like, does anyone smell burning? And it's like, oh, the dishes are in the oven. Um, so it's like, I think that that's part of it. And then knowing this, right? In life, there's always work that's going to, there's always still work to do, right? So you don't want, there's always ongoing work, but you don't want is unfinished business. So it's like getting the things done that you need to get done so you can meet deadlines and and, and be true to your word. But there's, ne there's never like, there's always something else I can work on in my house. There's always something else I can do in the garden. There's always something else to talk to my wife about. There's always more schoolwork that needs to be done. But it's like, if I'm, if I'm being, if I'm chunking my time and scheduling myself, then I find I have a hell of a lot more time on my hands than, uh, and it can get a lot more done than I, if I'm just, you know, going from one place to the other and, and writing lists. I write lists for, I have a list over here of a hundred, literal hundred things that I'm working on right now. Um, and it just helps me get it out of my head and know and see in front of me what needs to be done. And that can cross off the list. Uh, Anna's asking, how are you able to, Emphasize actual learning and life skills while still adhering to state standards that unfortunately focus mostly on standardized tests. So, and I never teach to the test um, ever. And I, I don't do that because I believe in it. And I think that if we are really teaching students um, things, there are, we can, we can teach what we're gonna teach and then it will be evident uh, when they get to the test that they're ready for it with the exception of like bias that are in tests, right? So like tests are not created equal. They're not created with all students in mind. Um, and, uh, an example of that would be like my students taking a test. And um, when you're, I was reading like the, uh, I had like the state science test. I had to read to the students that needed someone to actually read it to them. And I remember like reading things about like a manatee. And I read this passage about a manatee and the student, when I get done, I go, you guys good? Did you, do you need me to read it again? They're like, you have a question. What the hell's a manatee? And I was like, you know, bro, like a sea cow. And, and they're like, 
what's a sea cow? And I'm like, I don't know how to explain a manatee any other way. It looks like a, it's like a fat dolphin that's <laughs> slow. Like, I, like, like, how do you explain a manatee? But it was like, if the student doesn't know what the hell a manatee is, how the hell is supposed to answer the question, right? And, or if it was, there was another one about coral reefs and it was explaining the different types of coral, but it's like, if students do not have the base knowledge of what that's about, then it's, then the, the test is not, is, is kind of, it is stacked, the odds are stacked against them. So that sort of stuff I try to, to shed a light on, or let, at least let students know, like, look, there are going to be things they're going to talk about that you're not going to know what the hell they're talking about right here. Um, but, you know, and try and gear them up for that. But um, I find that those spaces, though, so let's let's say even if you have to take the teacher the test, let's say that you are, you have a curriculum, you have a textbook, you have a th way that you're supposed to scope and sequence you're supposed to go through. I think it comes with sprinkling magic. And what I liken this to is if you buy a box cake and that box cake, you can look on the front at exactly what it's supposed to look like, right? So like, I'm not like recreating the wheel here. I'm not gonna like add a little bit more flour because I feel like it or some cornstarch or an extra egg just because I you know, felt like that's a good move. Um, everyone, like the box cake is prepared in such a way because they know the box cake works, right? So maybe the textbook, is good. Maybe you have a decent textbook, a, a good curriculum that's been thought about. Um, what can I do to sprinkle magic on it? What can I do? What kind of icing am I putting on the cake? What kind of way am I going to decorate it? How am I going to present it? Like what kind of platter is it on? And what else is on the table at the same time? So like the cake's the cake, but like, what are you doing to it? Right? Like chicken's chicken. Some people just make it well. And some people are terrible at making it. Um, so that's part of what I'm thinking about. And so what that might look like is what is a journal entry that taps into my to the humanity part of my students or in a bigger, uh, more complex question or something that they're wondering about on the front end? How can I have supplementary materials that might say, Lord of the Flies is this, but like it's, you know, how can I tie that into the lives of my students actually living in West Philadelphia? How can I take the ideas in Fahrenheit 451, V for Vendetta, Persepolis? Like Persepolis is a, is a story about a little girl growing up during the Iranian revolution. So like, like the only way I get my students to care about that is if I can tie it into their life. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to in, at wherever we get an opportunity to create that space for our students. And it doesn't always have to be this overwhelming, like overdoing or like undoing of the curriculum and then building something new. It can just be uh, sprinkling magic in between and I just think that, that works really, really well. And it's a good practice for, for educators to do. Um, Mr. James Pete is asking question. How do you, uh, what do you do in a district in which the staff is full with implicit bias towards race, but they don't see it. My district has a small group of black and brown students, but predominantly white. I grew up in the district, but moved to Raleigh and taught in an inner city school for 17 years. My growth was immense in diversity and race, I came home to help students uh, not be as ignorant as I was. I feel like there was, is there another part to that? Well, I don't that was know. The end? Okay. Uh, so James, this is an awesome question, right? So like, what do you do? Uh, and I've gotten, I've talked to a lot of educators about this in with regards to like, um, when people can't see their implicit bias, right? Which is the basis of implicit bias is like, you are operating from a place where you don't even know that what you're doing is biased or racist or uh, sexist or, or privileged or whatever, right? I think it is, you know, 
there's a couple of things. I've talked to a number of folks recently um, about the fact that like I have not been vocal before now, right? This is me saying this out loud. I've not been vocal before now about hashtag Black Lives Matter, right? But I've posted a number of things lately. Part of the reason for that is I like to live or think that I'm living in a particular way that that is, I'm living that out. I'm not just talking about it. Um, I'm not just saying it. I'm not just posting it. They're not just words, right? I am living from a place where I know where I teach. I know the students that I teach. I know the community that I'm a part of. I know the families that I am working with um, in tandem to help their students. And I like to think that what I'm doing is that out loud. Right now, though, it feels like, no, this is the time to be vocal. Like, I don't want it to be lost in the sauce. But I do like this idea of St. Francis saying, um, preach always and when necessary, use words. I very seldom talk about my faith, even on YouTube amongst my friends. What I'm doing is living it out. And I think part, so I think it's in tandem. I don't think that it means being just silent, right? If something comes up, say something. If you feel like it's the moment, if you feel like it's a time where you can share, you can um, bring shine light on something, do it. But I think it comes down to living that out. I think it comes down to letting all students know that they're cared for and that this is a safe space for everyone. Um, not shying away from difficult matters, teaching students to look a little bit deeper under the, the, the cover of like, what is this text actually saying? Like, can we see some of the other things that are going on here with regards to race, sex, bigotry, racism, whatever that is, and digging, digging deeper. Um, so I think that that is good because back to the other piece I was saying, you're teaching kids about curiosity and standing up for themselves and, and feeling like they can um, inform themselves in the, in the right way. So if I was in that school, I would be living that as best I could. So that looks like making sure that like, look, I don't have to, like my students know, I'm trying to, I, 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 I hasten to really make this about me, but I'm the only example that I really have, right? Like in terms of like, I know me better than I know other people. And, I, and it's, you know, so I want to speak to that. My classroom, if there, there's a story in my book where talk about, um, there was a, a cohort of students that used to hang in my room every single day, right? Um, and all of these students were like LGBTQ, uh, part of that community. They would come in every day. They would get like with like, cause all of our students like don't live close to one another. So they would come in with like whatever new wig they got, whatever new shoes they got. Um, and then they would put on like Lady Gaga and they would like parade around my room and have fun and laugh and talk and like be who they were. It was a literal safe space. One day I had students um, come in from the lacrosse team and they were late getting to school. Or like their, their game got pushed back or something. So they just need a place to, to chill. They ordered food. They come in my room. They see what's going on, which essentially looks like a catwalk. I mean, it's like the music's on and the lights are on. And it, it is this kind of fantastic madness happening in my room. And this kid looks at me and he goes, you get down with this Reynolds? And I said, Bro, like, is that even a question? And he goes, yeah, 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 I got you. Like he knew that like my room was a, safe, a space that was safe for all students that I didn't have to, to tell everyone. Now, look, if it comes up, I'm not afraid to, I'm not shy to like talk about that stuff, but like I am like trying to make it so that it's like not even a question. So all that to say, like, I just think that that's part of the, the space is like, don't back away from it. Don't shy away from it, but make sure that what you're doing is living it out loud and, and, 
and along with saying it out loud as well. I probably could have just said that without my whole long story, but you know, that's how I roll sometimes. Um, Luis Lopez is saying nearly left teaching for a PR job. Uh, offer was rescinded and reopted back into my teaching contract. How do I tell them my focus and love for the children hasn't wavered? So Louis, this is a great question. Um, I know a lot of educators that really, really love students, but um, really love education, really want to be teachers. But like when you have enough kids or if you have, you know, so, and I'm not saying this was your situation, but like if you need to leave because you're not making the money, that's a real thing. Like I have a very good friend that is all about the kids. It comes back all the time whenever we have an event, whenever we have um, like a ceremony or something like that. My friend Taz comes back all the time and, but he left cause it just wasn't, he wasn't making enough money. Like he couldn't afford to live in Philadelphia anymore and get paid a teacher's salary. And I, you know, part of the reason we started real rap with Reynolds also was like with the hope that like this would supplement our income at some point, because if we, if my wife is homeschooling our children who need that and we're living on my salary, we cannot live. We do not make enough money yeah. and, unless I am, riding a skateboard across the bridge to work and eating top ramen every single day. Like we just, I'm you, not even so sure that we can right. afford like it. Maybe if we lived in a van, we could afford it, but it's just not possible. So I think that teaching is tough and that if they want someone back that actually cares about the students, then they would take you back. Um, and so here's, here's the thing to remember. We cannot control how other people are going to process what we think, say, or do. Um, I have said things online that people have taken a completely different way than what I meant. I've said things to students or text friends that were like, that's really offensive. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, I was, I was literally just asking this question, but it gets lost in translation sometimes. So I think it's about being as earnest, about as honest and straightforward and vulnerable as you can be. And then that is the gift you are giving them. How they choose to interact with that gift is completely up to them, and you really cannot do anything about that. About that, and I just think that's a really important thing to remember. Mm. Best of luck. Man. Um, what you got there, dude? I'm sorry, sifting through. Oh, you were reading other people's uh, stuff. Well, Mr. James Pete had some good follow-up things. What people talking about it? No, just him. He was saying that it's like his situation at his school is a community problem, um, and he has some ideas, but. Um, school isn't acknowledging like the problem like so I guess his school is saying like oh there's no problem here and even within their community so it's like how does he really make active change but he's saying he's a star in his classroom well that's like our friend in Utah um you know who I'm talking about I don't want to say his name on the internet but uh yes. that taught at a school and we were talking about race at some point this was years ago and he said he asked his students which are predominantly white um, upper middle class population in Utah and said like if they were the students said something like yeah well you know it's not like that anymore like race isn't really an issue racism isn't really an issue in America anymore and he was just like what, what? but look <laughs> you know it depends on where you live right so it's almost like the, the one of the things I think is interesting in all of this is you know we like some people just don't know. And we, I like, and I hasten to fault people for that, right? I hasten to come down on them. Yes, it's important to help wake them up, to get them 
to understand what's what happening. It's really you a have problem. to meet everybody, even when it comes to racism. Like they, everybody has a starting point, yeah. right? And it's so if we're willing to do that with children, I think we have to do, be willing to do that with people. With everyone. I mean, yes. you have, I argued with someone the other day on Facebook with, and they're an older, an elderly person, and not argued. I just shared like some new insights that they might not have known. In a very forceful way. No, actually I didn't. <laughs> no, I'm just but it's just about meeting in my mind. I think, Oh my gosh, how do you not know these like basic things? But it's like, no, of course, like you're old and you're in your bubble. And if you're surrounded, you know, you just have to meet people where they are. I think it's that about continuing and growing though. the conversation. That's students. Mm -hmm. That's like, you don't teach someone that's on a second grade reading level. And you go, well, look, bro, you're in ninth grade. We're reading ninth grade level text, right? You're going to lose them. You have to meet people where they are and not for not where we wish they were right, or not exactly. where we expect they were. And when we do that, I think we are showing grace to people and then that helps people grow. Right. It doesn't they excuse don't feel anything. Foolish. They don't feel stupid. Right. They don't feel like they're being schooled by someone, but rather you are you are educating or helping to educate someone yes. in what's really happening. And, and I think that that's in school all the time, like with students, like when kids like explode on me sometimes because I say something or I ask them to stop talking or I tell them to stop, you know, can you not? I'll say like, I, I've literally had kids where I'm like, can you not stab him with your pencil? You're always yelling at me. And I'm like, no, I, it was because you were just, like, you just stabbed him with your pencil. I was, I was bringing it, like asking it not to like violate another person, you know, with, with the, your pencil um, and they lose it. And so I can't go like, why does that kid always have to do that? Why is it always an explosion? It's like, dude, I don't know what their story is. So when you find out someone's story, what you do is you find out the reason for their behavior, not an excuse, but a reason. And then you work from that space to help them in the best way that you can. I think that that's kind of what yeah. that comes out to. Um, Sam is asking, how do we as, an, as authority figures ensure that the students' interpersonal relationships, friends or other, are healthy and fair? Is it our responsibility to do this in the first place? Um... Are you shaking your head? No. No. Because I think yes. Yeah, it is. But can you control every like nuance of a situation? I don't no. think. So here's what right. you do. That's when you go into education, um, a couple of things. One, when folks say things, like when I first started teaching and I had a friend that uh, I remember Nina said this to me. Nina was like, um, yeah, but CJ, if you can help one kid, it's worth it. And I'm like, Bro, if in 15, if in a 30-year career, if I help one person, I need to get the hell out of the business. That's like if I have a restaurant and I can serve just one person. It's just like, what? Like, that? Like no, that's not good enough, man. But I've been doing this long enough to know that I am not going to be able to help every single student. And it's not my job to help every single student. It is my job to help the ones that I can help, right? I'm part of a community. It is not a solo venture, man. It's not boxing. It's more like, I don't know, like the bad news bears of baseball, right? Typically is what I feel like I'm, we're, we're doing. Um, and, and so when we're doing that, uh, I will sit with students all the time before school, after school, during lunch, and we're just sitting around and talking and I'll hear like how someone treats someone else or how they say something to someone else or that, you know, these guys keep dogging this guy because he's fat or because his skin is a certain color, like, like, um, so like if he's, if he's particularly dark or, um, because of the way that he talks or because he has a lisp or because of whatever, right, whatever it is. And I just tell them, no, like not in here. Like I'm all about 
making fun of each other. I'm all about that back and forth, that banter, that fun. Like, um, but if it's fun, if it's silly, if we're just having like, if it's us just kind of going back and forth, I think there's there's a value in that. Students get to know things like limits and stuff like that. But when someone takes it past the limit, you got to go. No, you're now you're making it not safe in here for other people, and this is a safe space for everybody. So you need to be mindful of that or break it down bro let's talk about why we don't do that let's talk about why we don't fat shame people let's talk about things like why we don't talk about um girls so we're all boys school there's a lot of talk all the time bums the boys of like they go to the school because girls are a distraction it's like eh, no stop there uh girls are not a distraction let's talk about that and then you help them to unpack it because you know to be honest, one, if you want kids to not act a certain way in your class, make them know that they're going to have a conversation about it every time. They're not just getting their hands slapped for it or something like that or getting reprimanded. Um, not that I would slap a student, just saying. Uh, it was metaphor, sort of. Um, but it is that uh, you are going to actually have the conversation with them. The second thing you're doing is just letting kids know that there's like no, that like that's lazy put down stuff, man. Like I, you know, and if, and sometimes I think kids don't even mean it. Um, but it's like what you're saying then is lazy and you're just saying this thing because you've gotten used to it or whatever. So if kids say like, um, stop being gay, like this is said so much in school. My guys know, eh, stop. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, oh, this is problematic. Let's talk about why you would say that. Let's talk about, did you really mean that he was gay? Let's talk about what does it mean to be gay? What is that? What are you even trying to say when you say that? Or if someone says that someone's retarded, it's like, oh, stop. Let's stop there. But my students, they, you know, a lot of them say it all the time, right? So it's not my job to judge. It's my job to call attention, to shine a light on the thing that I think that's happening is unhealthy or not right or, or is, um, making it not a safe space for everyone else. And, and it's having those conversations with students. Uh, Janelle is asking, how do your students handling everything that's going on and finishing up the school year? Are you giving more leeway and assignments because of this? Yeah, so Janelle, I've been, I've been giving a lot of leeway with regards to the school year to begin with. So my elective has only gotten one lesson a week and it's very, very short and sweet. That's my uh, history of hip hop class. Um, my English class is... I give two assignments a week that should only take 10 minutes to do um, and 10 to 15 minutes. So they're getting like, you know, 20, 30 minutes of work a week for me uh, because I am very clear on the idea that not all of my students have good internet. Not all of them have families that are like, you know, mom and dad are still working and now they're taking care of their brothers and sisters. So it's being mindful of that with regards to all the stuff that's happening um, with Black Lives Matter and with the death of George Floyd. Yeah, I think, you know, my students aren't ones that for some reason, when I call you on the phone, it is, they're not as apt to share with me what's going on. If we were in school, I, no kidding, the day after George Floyd was murdered, I would have had kids come in and say like, Reynolds, can you believe what's going on with, with George Floyd? Like, what do you think about that? And then we would, it would be like from the jump. Like, that's all we would have done for days in school is like unpack that, talk about some of this stuff, talk about all the things that are going on in the news right now. Um, but on the phone, it's just not the same. And I'm not sure why that is. I mean, maybe there's some sort of like social scientists out there that would be able to say, speak to that. But um, so it's been tough. 
what I've been trying to do is on social media and in just text and phone calls is just communicating to students I'm thinking about them and that I care about them. And I think that oftentimes, especially in this time of like this pandemic that we're all living through, it is students, I don't want them to feel forgotten. I don't want them to think that I'm not thinking about them. I don't want them to think that they're going through this alone or to think that like, if we're not in school, then I don't care as much. So even, you know, periodically through the summer, my, my goal is to still text kids or, or call kids or use WhatsApp or whatever, you know, I can to just check in and see how everybody's doing uh, because I want them to feel cared for. So I, I'd say they are, there's a lot going on in a lot of students' minds um, and I just hope that they're being safe and they're being responsible and they are, uh, you know, doing what they're doing. But it's like, I can't, like we, we started doing home visits last week where the school asked or two weeks ago where certain teachers were going to students' houses, sitting on the porch with them um, and helping them do work. And I was asked to do that, but it's like, I can't, I have two little ones at home. Like I can't risk going somewhere and doing something like that when I have uh, babies at home. And so like when I- And we all rely on you. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> and, and I'm the primary income uh, in our, I'm the only income in our house, but like, um, the, but if I was a young educator and I didn't have kids yet, or if I, my kids were grown and out of the house, I would hundred percent be, I, I, I'd probably be more apt to be at more rallies, more walks, be at students' houses, connecting with families, like one-to-one more. Um, but not when things like this are going on. I, I have not. Um, Alicia is asking any ideas for a seven, five to seven, zoom ela lesson to teach uh i think alicia it your job in five to seven minutes should be um connecting students with something else so i wouldn't be like reading to them or writing with them or something like that it would be how do i create engagement how do i immediately as soon as they come on they see something behind me i have something on there's certain music playing there's something that's setting up the engagement hooking them in then I'm going to drop some knowledge for like one to two minutes or, and get them engaged in what I'm talking about. Right. So like I'm drumming up the engagement and then leave them with the assignment that is going to make them want to go do whatever the thing is. Right. So, um, in, if you go on uh, IGTV, I posted, I only posted like four or five of the videos that I made, but they're like videos that I made for students where I try to model that for, for educators. It's like, here's what we're doing. Um, here, here's how I'm setting this up in this very simplistic way. Um, and I think that that is a really cool way to get kids excited. And so what you're using is your five to seven minutes to get them excited about the reading, the questions, the writing activity, the word problems, the biology assignment that they have to do. That's, that's what I would focus on in that five to seven. Uh, I don't know what time we started. Uh, well, oh, so we're going, we're at an hour eight. This keeps okay. timer. Um, I'm good to keep yes, going. I really want coffee more. bad, but I shall make you some. I would love to have some coffee right now. <laughs> All the stores near our house started opening up and having coffee available again. So like you can just go in. Yeah. And I'm just like, I saw it yesterday and I wanted some so bad at Wawa. And I was like, can't do it, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't know who was in here. I don't know how often they wipe those things off. I feel like they should have like, like a thing where like, maybe you could bring in like your own stick. And like use the handle that way, so I don't have to touch anything. You know, you could just use some hand sanitizer afterwards. <laughs> just, just felt wrong. Let's <laughs> make your own. We've quarantined so hard that I'm just like, what? Talk to you across the street? Are you crazy? 
Um, Chris Chong has two more weeks of school. Chris Chong. Wow. That's that's a lot of extra schooling to do. Um, The KRCL. I'm not sure. So that's the profile name. Um, What do you do when you feel like you're hitting your head repeatedly uh, trying to find an in in education? It is... Is this a normal problem to have? I can't seem to shadow or volunteer with my local district. I think that says district. Um, and is and it's making me feel like <clears throat> I'm not meant to do this work. Um, so what would I do with that? I, so because that would be my go-to answer, right? Would be, um, volunteering volunteering putting your time in somewhere um i would say this there have been any number of times in my life where it just wasn't working right so like if i look at youtube um there were people that had bigger numbers than i did there were people that had more subscribers that had more views that were getting opportunities that i wasn't getting but i know i know that this is work I've been given to do. I know that this is missional without a doubt. I can feel it in my heart that I need to, that this is what I've been given to do right now. Um, when I can remember that, I that's why four, over four years later, I'm still on YouTube. I'm still doing what I'm doing. And then a lot of other educators have fallen by the wayside because it is knowing your why so, so strongly that there's no doubt that you should be doing this. And I often think, and look, maybe this is too woo-woo or whatever, but like um, that if opportunities have passed me by, they weren't opportunities for me, man. There's like, it's like I that something better comes along. And this sounds like just kind of rainbowy and, and unicorny or like wishful thinking, but I can just point to too many times in my life where that's happened, where I've watched two people partner together and they start something. I'm like, yo, how come they didn't ask me to partner? How come that speaking engagement didn't get me to jump on board? How come I didn't get that business opportunity? But then what happens is I do end up getting something. I'm like, yo, I couldn't have done this if I was doing that thing. And this is far more lucrative. I couldn't have spoken at these four places if I'd taken that one gig for four days at that school. Now I'm speaking at four different places over four days and making a a lot more money and a lot more having a lot more impact. Um, I would say to me, it is here, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to break it down like this. I have my life planned out. I know exactly what I want and I know what I want it to look like. I don't always know how I'm going to get there. So what I've been thinking of literally it's so funny, this comes up because I just had this conversation with my wife this morning and I'm really excited about this idea. And I just so much so that I just clapped and that was weird. Um, what if. I don't know where anything's going that I'm working on, right? But I'm actually putting the work into myself so that no matter what comes up, I'm ready to go. So um, if my editing skills are as good as they can get, if my lighting and my camera and my microphone are as good as they can get, if um, my book is as when I'm writing it is as good as it can get. What if my health's as good as it can get? So that what if a number of districts hit me up and they said, we want you to speak 27 days in a row this July. Can I do it? A hundred percent. Cause I run, I exercise, I pay attention to what I'm eating, except for the whole bag of Milano pepperidge farm cookies I ate all by myself last night, but no judgment. Um, it is, 
it is me knowing as much, learning as much, creating the mindset that I want, being physically fit enough to take on anything. So when you can't get the job, are you still learning? Are you still growing? Are you still looking at lesson plans? Are you still trying to think about how you would teach stuff? Are you still looking at like things that are happening in culture right now and how you would implement them into your classrooms? Are you touching base with other teachers and asking thoughtful questions? Are you in the Facebook group? Are you in other people's Facebook groups? Are you on like live chats? Like whether it's the teach like a pirate chat that happens on Twitter, the hip hop ed chat that happens on Twitter that I'm a part of each week. Um, it's watching and getting to know other educators in social media. And then are, if they have a live feed, are you in there? Are you learning stuff? Are you preparing yourself? So what you're doing is you are creating this individual that when that opportunity comes, you like nothing can stop you because you're so prepared, you're ready to go. And I think when we think about things in that way, you are, you're, you're not waiting for someone. You're on 100% offense, bro. I'm just waiting for the deal to show up. I'm, my eyes are peeled. I'm look, which is such a weird saying. Um, I'm, I'm always on the lookout. I'm like checking the ads. I'm on the internet. I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm letting folks know they need a job. But in the meantime, I'm preparing. I'm preparing. I'm preparing. You're training like you're a fighter or a runner and you're always getting ready. And so that's something that I've really been thinking of. My wife is doing shadow boxing moves next to me in the kitchen right now, which is really fun. Um, I was trying not to look over at you, but uh, it is, uh, um, that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. And then get in the Facebook group and say like, hey, does anyone know of any jobs that are, are opening or um, hit it up in the side. If, tell people where you live and like where they can get in touch with you and like wh if, whether they know anything and, and you know, you just don't know where the opportunity is going to come from, but you can prepare for the opportunity. Uh, the Apple Corps company, I think. I don't. Okay, we'll go with it. Um, question: Post teacher, I want to. Oh, post teacher, I want to write a book. Uh, best way to fight through writer's block. Um, so look, I, I just kept writing. Um, here's the funny part: I have a lot of stories about education but I never thought about writing a book. I also never thought about making YouTube videos, but when I came time to write a book and I already have like another book in mind, we were just talking about this this morning. Um, it's like, I'm not sure I'm ready. I don't think I know all the things, but if I just kept writing every day, so like every day it was either I had two places that I wrote. I didn't, I, I like really narrowed it down. It was either at Starbucks in a town that's not close to mine. So I wasn't going to see people I knew coming in. Um, I sat at the same place. I had the same small black coffee every single day, sat in the same spot. And if I went in there and someone was in my spot, I did have a fallback spot. But as soon as someone left, bam, I was up in that seat right away because um, I wanted it to be the same thing. I didn't want to think about – I wanted to strip away decision-making opportunities. I didn't want to think about where I was going to sit or what I was going to wear or what music I was going to listen to. It was sitting at Starbucks. It was the Cold War Kids uh, Pandora Station. It was, which was the same songs over and over and over again. Um, it was the same drink and then trying to just write. And it wasn't writing because it was good. It wasn't writing because it was funny or that people were going to like it. It was just writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And I think that's how you get through anything. Um, I was just reading about this idea today that like most people don't achieve their goals because they're not ready for the dip, right? Uh, Seth Godin talks, he's the entrepreneur, talks about the dip where it's like, you have to mentally prepare on the front end. We all know that we want to have abs. I don't know one person that doesn't want to have abs, but 
when you are like, yes, this is awesome. You know what, man? Babe, I'm getting abs this summer. I'm going to add this up, right? You're going to be able to <laughs> rub spoons and it's going to make noise. I don't know. That was freaking weird. But you know, several weeks in, the dip is going to happen, scientifically proven. But if you can get through the dip, then you graduate high school. Then you graduate college. Then you have a great marriage. Then you have abs. Then you ran the marathon. But it's mentally preparing on the front end for that sort of thing. And... um and so that's what I think the answer to that is. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just keep writing, no matter what. Write about anything, but as long as you're writing. Um, because then that just gets you into the practice of not giving up. Um, so Samantha is asking, I'm, in, I'm new to the channel and I am an aspiring teacher. Awesome. Uh, what grade level do you teach? How many students are in your class maximum? And has school and oh, has your school made any changes yet for COVID-19 adjustments? So uh, Samantha, I teach uh, ninth grade literature and I teach an elective called the history of hip hop in um, West Philly. My students are, it varies. I will have classes that are sometimes as small as 15 to 20, but usually more closer to like 30 or 31 students in a class. Um, and so that, it has a huge shift, obviously, on on what my classes can look like and the sort of things that we can do. Um, and mostly, and I was just thinking about this this morning too, because I'm you, as an educator, you're sort of beholden to who else is teaching in your room. So, like, it was up to me. I, so, I got I got a comment on Instagram recently where someone saw a picture of my classroom and they were like. Uh, must be nice to have small classes. And I said, what are you talking about? And they were like, we well, have so few desks in your room. And I'm like, no, that's because no one wants to sit in a desk. Like I have very few kids that like want a desk. They'd rather have a clipboard and sit on the windowsill, sit on the couch, lay on the floor, whatever. Um, my ultimate classroom would have no regular desks in it, but would just have places to work or like a large table, like Game of Thrones style that we'd all sit around and have like this kind of family style education situation. Um, so with regards to COVID, it has been, we did distance learning, but with no real thought as to what that was going to look like. And I don't know that that's a fault of the school even because, because we were literally like at school on Thursday. I was watching a John Oliver piece with my students because they were getting worried about COVID. Um, we watched it that day. We talked about it. I said, I'll see you on Monday because we had off on Friday. And that was it. Friday, they called school for the next two weeks. And then it was two weeks more and two weeks more and two weeks more. So we have had to try and figure this out. The one of the things I love about my school, though, is that um, I have this guy, Joel, that I work with, who's the director of curriculum. And he's about making this work for kids, however you can. So he was always like digging up resources, digging up like things that we could do with our students, looking at what we were posting on Google Classroom, and then giving us feedback like, hey, you didn't really address this, or I think this lesson would have been better if you broke it down. Um, and, and they really moved with what we were doing because there was a thought on the front end that we had to do live Zoom calls with students, which is like a, like a total nightmare scenario because not everyone has good Wi-Fi. Not everyone has a house that they want you to see what it looks like. Not everyone has um, you know enough internet for everyone at the same time to be on. Not everyone has enough devices in the house for all the families in there to be on there. So the school really moved with that stuff a lot. And, and so that's kind of been the experience so far um, because it's, it's access. My school is like, is a lot of our students deal with not having access 
to a lot of things they would need to be able to be on school in she school is, online. Um, she's a, in her final year to be a math teacher and she's in Jamaica. And she said, for my teaching practice, I had almost 50 students. Do you think it would be easy to be effective as a teacher? So, uh, so I taught in South Central Africa and Zambia for a little while. And I had probably 50 or 60 students in a class, no lights on the ceiling. Um, the, even the, the chalkboard was like, it was like this really bumpy situation. So it was like, you couldn't even write neatly on the board. Um, it was, it was difficult, but I'll say this, and I don't know how, how it is in Jamaica. Uh, but I know that when I was teaching in Zambia, um, my students didn't have other options and they knew it. They, and I would, it was all girls school. And I would talk to the girls like between classes and they said, you're either going to be a mother or you're going to get an education. And being a mother is not bad, but it was like, that was your only like opportunity in life was like to get married and to have babies and provide children for your husband. But like, that wasn't, you weren't choosing your life then. It was like being chosen for you. So school was really, really serious. Um, so kids like didn't mess around. Like they didn't want my jokes. They didn't want my silliness. They didn't want fun lessons. I was like, no, I want to learn the stuff so I can get better and like have the life that I want. Um, so let's not mess around. So it was, a, it was a much different situation. So, um, I think it's going to depend on that. I, I would, I would really consider look. And again, I don't really, I've never, I've been to Jamaica, uh, but I, and I know about some of the, like what that kind of looks like, um, and the poverty that folks are dealing with there and, and stuff to the, of that nature. Um, to me, it's about really selling kids on why they're there. And that this is actually worth something. Like we're not just here to go to school because it's state mandated or because your parents sent you here. It's like, no, like what you all don't realize is that I am going to ride for you like no one has ever before. That I want you to do the best to have to live the life you dream of. And I will do anything to make that happen. And then I and then explaining why you're doing anything in school, why you are teaching the stuff that you're teaching, why the rules are the way the rules are, why the policies are the way that the policies are, um, to let students know that that's it. And then if, especially thinking about somewhere like that's on an island, um, my guess would be that your students don't always have access to get other places or go other places. Like many of my students don't leave West Philadelphia or they don't leave their block. It's about creating access. And I think, you know, not to go on too long about this because I have a lot that I could say about this. I would really, can you email ice cube buddy? Um, it is creating access with, uh, by using things like Zoom or Skype, if those are accessible to you. And this has had a great impact on my class where I will actually find people on social media that I think are fascinating. And with this idea of if you can see it, you can be it. And what that means is I, you know, mo most of my students either want to be ball players or they want to be rappers, right? And when I talk to them or about YouTubers. that, or YouTubers, and because that's what they've seen people that have come from their situation do. They don't know that they could be a chef or own a business or be an entrepreneur. They don't know that they could start um, a company. They don't know that they could be uh, a copywriter or editor or an artist or any number of other things that exist because they just haven't seen it yet, right? So what you're doing is you are inviting folks in that either look like your students or come from a similar situation from your students. So not everyone I have, like it could be like an Asian woman that was an immigrant from Vietnam that is going to speak to my students. Um, but she came up hard. She came up like grinding. And that's what I want my students to see. And so you're creating opportunities 
through this virtual platform to connect with your students. And that is worth its weight in gold because then you just step back. You're not the teacher saying, this is what you have to do, or this is important because it's on the test. Someone's going, no, I've been where you are. I've been in your shoes and this is what I've done. And no one can take that from me. And that is the most powerful thing I, I've ever really been able to do for my students. Uh, besides just tell them that I love them. Um, what you got? Oh, my man, John Lopez. John Lopez, we were cracking up when I finally opened your email yesterday and your picture was in there. It's so fun to put a picture. Like, to put a face to someone. Yes, that. And not that no, we were laughing at your picture, but we were just like, I, I like was on the email doing it and I like took a picture of it. I go, yo, this is what John Lopez looks like. And then <laughs> we were just laughing. Um, so question, what does... What was a professional looks, development training? It looks events? like we need to sit down and have that beer, that same beer with him. A Guinness? Yes. Oh, yeah, was that what it was? Yeah, he was driving. Oh. Um, yeah, I love Guinness. What was a uh, professional development training that was that inspired you? We had a professional development training last year um, that was based around, it was with regard to special education uh, practice, best practices, but it was more far more social emotional. And I mean, if I could remember this guy's name, I'd even shout him out. It was so good. Like, look, I'm going to say right here. Many, I'd say 90% of 90% of the time that we have professional development, if I feel like it is not worth my time or energy, I will pretend that I have a phone call and I leave the room and I go take my phone call, but really means I just go to my room and do work or, or helping students or tutoring someone or something like that, right? It's like my time is better spent doing this um that was so good though that i had to even go tell the guy that he did such a great job because what it did was like it was a guy who was a lawyer who worked for he was an advocate for for students in like did pro bono work is that um and he is was talking about like the, the ins and outs of like the system and how students show up to your room and how, like, how can they possibly be on a second grade reading level when they're in the ninth grade and, um, and just unpacked all this great stuff up with regards to special education and social emotional learning that just taught me so much and hit my heart so heavy that I was like, dude, this guy is all about the work. And I love Like, it was like all I could talk about. And then there was another woman who's, I have her book in the other room, but she came to our school and talked about how educating boys is different than educating girls, which I was immediately, at first I was like, eh, this seems weird, but she just talked about like some scientific, like she just talked about stuff that was like based in science, based in research and said like, here are ways that boys are going to operate differently than girls in the classroom. And it was really eye-opening to me. And I took a lot away from it. Now that same PD pissed a lot of people off too, but I mean, I just thought it was really fascinating and it really resonated with me a lot and even made me look at the way I had grown up and learned differently because I had, I was like, damn, yeah, that's what I was like in high school. I remember when a teacher would come at me that way too, I would feel this type of way. Or like, I remember it just was like, no, this is true because I can relate it to my own experience. What you got there, dude? Drinking coffee. Um, I forget or was I hit the wrong button? Do you remember the question? No. Now we skip someone. Dang it. They're lost in the sauce. Yes. How about you give me another question and then just go try and look for it? Or is that okay. not possible? No, I can. Take this one right here? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Mr. Pete is asking question two. 
my wife mostly wants to tackle me when it comes to. <laughs> what is it? All right, it says, my wife mostly wants to tackle me when it comes to my teaching career. You guys are an incredible team. Any insight on oh, professional geez. development um, for creating that dynamic team? Wife, why are we a dynamic team? I think we are. I think we're awesome. I think we're a dynamic team, but man, has it come with a lot of work and a lot of discussions yep. and a lot of learning how each other work and respecting that enough to like, you know, I have to make changes to understand how you work and you have to make changes to understand and, and uh, respect how I work as a human being. And it's that work that we put in with each other that leads to an amazing outcome. So that like a looks like to me, part of it, I'll say this. We had an argument the other day. You said something to me that I didn't like how you said it or whatever. We don't have to get into the ins and outs of it. <laughs> but the bottom line was I had to check myself because I thought you were trying to like intentionally hurt my feelings or, or, or something along those lines. And then it was when I remembered, um, Pete, that like, I, when I remember that my wife and I are at literally like, I don't take marriage vows lately. Like, I think it is like literally a covenant that we have made. Um, and the thing I think is so, to take this even further, that's so beautiful about marriage is um, when you're married, it's like, no, this thing's going to work no matter what. And so it is, I had to check myself and just remember my wife isn't trying to do something to intentionally harm me, right? I have to get that out of my head, right? I have to, th I have to throw that away. I know that she loves me. I know that no matter what she cares about me, I know that no matter what she's going to back me, um, at least publicly. And then if we have to have a conversation about that later, we can, but it's ride or die. And so when you are rooted in that, you know, that no matter what the conversation is, no matter how heated the battle gets, we are still loving one another. And that's the bottom line. And then I've always come back to intention. I always say like, if he gets mad at something that I did or said, and I always have to remind like, well, know me, like know my intention. What's, what's the intention behind who I am to be as your wife and as a human being that you know who I am, that my intention isn't to hurt your feelings. Now I apologize if I did, and I obviously don't yeah. want to continue hurting your feelings. So I try and learn from those. But real quick, even me, those areas, my feelings are really not hurt anymore. If I know you didn't mean it, right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, like you just, you check yourself. Um, I think two other quick things that I, I take from us. I cannot find one. One is um, when, so loving each other for who you are and not for who you want them to be, right? So that can go both ways. Uh, a friend of mine once told me that his wife was going through um, menopause and she was hot all the time. And he was like, dude, it was like the middle of the winter and my wife was hot and she wanted to open the window every night. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to open the window. It's frigging freezing in here. But she was having hot flashes. Get dog hair in my mouth. Um, she was having hot flashes. So, uh, she decided to, like, she wanted to open the window. And his answer, he goes, this is how I answer those questions. For you, I open the window. Sometimes it's just conceding the point and saying, for you, we will eat chicken again. For you, we will go camping. I don't love camping, 
But if everyone wants to go, and I'm not doing it begrudgingly, and I'm not doing it passive aggressively, and I'm not doing it like so I can remind you later that remember that time I went camping for you? Now you can't do this for me. Um, but it is <laughs> it is conceding the point and saying, for you, I open the window. And then the other piece is I think when we were coming up, um, you're far more of an at-home body than I am. I like to oh, go right now yeah. to all the places with all the people, having all the conversations, talking all the time. I love quarantine life. They, look, 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 let's wait this out. I'm the one that goes on the internet and talks to people that I can't see. I stay right on the edge. Yes. So, um, but you used to always want me to be home. Yeah. And so sometimes I will stay home now, but it's because I love you and I want you to have what you need. Like, but the interesting part now though, is that I don't ever say like, when you go to, gosh, their school has so many like get togethers, like, Oh, we're all going out. Cause there's a bar, right? And what do I say when I go, babe, we're going out. I'm only going to be like an hour. I go, right? don't even tell me that. I go, don't, don't tell me that. I go, because we both know that you're not, and I'm okay with you not, but don't set me up for yeah. false expectations. Like, because I'm the last one every So now I just go, I just know that you're, like, you're out for the evening. Yeah. It's like, whatever, I'm good. Um, but having those understandings of who we are and how we each operate, I think is, is key. Yeah. And I'm a slow one to learn all that, I'll say. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I mean, we're many, many years in now, but like, yes, that's been some stuff. That I think those it three took things a long were really time to get there. Well, because yeah, it's not just noting those things, right? But putting them into practice over and over and over again. And I think we've done a good job of that. Okay, here this can be your last <clears> time. <throat> okay. Okay. I'm actually got the coffee now. It's getting started. I know. You're ready to go for like two more hours. Um, I actually, that that question that we answered was the next one in line. Oh, awesome. Uh, Howard is asking, um, do you recommend taking an in-depth training course regarding nonviolent communication from Marshall Rosenberg? Is this something that you know about or do you use? Uh, I don't, I, now I'm going to look at, I'm actually going to screenshot this so I can remember to check that out. Um, I don't know what that is. What I do know, look, I, I look, let's say it like this. I went to community college and I went to a state school in New Jersey. I, that is not how I learn. Um, I learn far more by seeing people do something and then watching them do it and then trying to do that myself. So I've had the honor of working with like some really great people like my friend Meeks and Cho and Nick Pascal is like a big person in education down in, uh, in Texas. Um, they, those folks, I, I, I'm very keen on like observing people. And so like observing those two or those, those plus many other people and watching how they communicate with children or with young people in general has just showed me that like, I never want to be in a power struggle with anyone. Right. Like, so like, or I, it almost, I would say, I would border on saying that it makes me excited when angry parents come to my room. So I can't tell you how many times <laughs> some teacher in another classroom we're having parent-teacher conferences, some mom comes in, she's on a tear, and someone texts me like, oh my God, so-and-so's mom's on the way to the room now, and she is pissed at you. And I'm just like, all right. Because what I'm not looking at, and the reason I like that is because I know I'm about to make this person's night. And the reason I know that is because when some mom, some grandma, some dad comes in and they are pissed, Look at these grades. Why'd you have this comment? My kid said that you did this. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever that, whatever the anger is, I always tell them, one, here's what you need to know on the front end. I only care about your kid's success. That's all I want. And I'm willing to listen to anything you have to say if you feel like it's going to help me, help your student, 
have a better ex- time in my class and in our school. That's the bottom line. And parents just, that was the last, I just spit a lot. Um, parents just don't hear that enough. And so when I think about nonviolent communication, it's doing things like, um, like I almost never raise my voice with students, but when I do, they know I mean it and they, and it's for a reason. It's like, cause things got way too out of control and I need to snap it back in. Right. But I don't want to raise my voice with students. It's, about taking students into the hallway and saying, hey man, can you talk to me in the hallway real quick? And then do using tactics like asking students, um, did I, like I see how you're being in class, did I do something to make you angry? Or did, is there something happening in class, like a dynamic that I'm unaware of? And then, so what I'm doing there is like not putting it on students right away and saying like, you're doing this in class, I don't wanna see it again. It's like, I'm asking and I'm curious, back to that same piece as before about what, what is it that might be going through your head right now that is making you upset? And did I have something to do with that? And then having that conversation, it's taking the audience away, which is why you're in the hallway and not in the classroom addressing something. It's following up with kids later because there's damn near no, like I never do detentions because they're worthless. I will do, Hey, you got to come in after school and talk to me today. I want to, I want to hear about what you're thinking and feeling and where you're coming from, but that's not a detention. That's use. That's like putting people in jail and just letting them sit there and rot. You're no, there's no rehabilitation happening there. So it's like trying to work through things with students because you know, they can get there. You know, they're growing, they're changing, they're developing. We need to be a part of that solution. And the way that we do that is by not coming down on students. Um, but rather working through things with students. So I, I, although I don't know what that program is and I will look at it now, um, that's kind of where I come from. And that's just been best practice to me. Like I've never, ever, ever seen a, a teacher that has had long lasting impact that screamed and yelled and went ballistic on their class. I've never seen it happen. I've never seen someone that is, that's done damn near anything you know, the only thing they do, folks do, like when they're screaming and yelling and carrying on, is get the other people that are screaming and yelling and carrying on going, yeah, all right, this is what we do. Yeah, we yell and scream everybody. Oh, yeah, this is what we do. But it's like, no one ever changes, right? Like, like I, I've never, like, changed a, a, one thought in my life because someone ever yelled at me. It's always been through conversation. It's always been through a sense of place of understanding and trying to come to a common ground. And I think when we're working with young people, that has to be the number one thing on our mind is how do I get you to succeed? And the only way I'm going to get you to succeed is if we're, if it's if we're talking about this stuff. Is that it? Well, I mean, that's up to you. You feel like you're on fire. I mean, people are on here. Let's get, let's do a couple more. Okay. I'm half cup of coffee in. Let's do it. Get hot back here though. Part of the problem with working in your laundry room is there's no air conditioning back here. It's not because it used to be a porch. It used to be a porch, porch, and then the central air only reaches the rest of the house. It's my first world problem. The central air does not reach all the way back to the laundry room. <laughs> Someone's doing laundry at a laundry mat right now, going screw you, Reynolds. Like, yeah. like I get it. Like we've been there also, and I hated the laundry mat. Yeah. God, the laundry mat sucked. Didn't you have cell phones back then? That you couldn't even sit on social or like. No, I I like that you say you. I sat at the laundry mat. The laundry mat. Girl, I sat at the laundry mat. Um, I don't know what that was all about. I was getting amped. Saw that. Go ask those guys. Go ask them if they remember me. They remember me. Um, Andrew is asking, when or how do you plan out your lessons for the year? I'll be teaching computer class for K through eight students. I start like, look, I. 
I'm always planning, Andrew. I think that everything I'm, so right now, we are in the middle of watching uh, the Michael Jordan documentary that all, I know that all of my students are watching. I'm watching it though, and part of me is going, how do I use that in class? Oh, that was a great line, or that was a great, um, that was, that showed, you know, uh, a good example of conflict or that was, there's a lot of irony right there. And so when I go into school and I'm talking about irony next year, I might be like, wasn't it ironic this thing about Scottie Pippen or like when the, when, you know, the, the bulls lost to the Pistons that time, like, because that's going to create a connection point for students. What you're trying to do in education is bridge what they know to what they need to know. And so, and, and creating those building blocks. So I think I'm always doing that. Um, and I'm always looking for, I don't necessarily look for lessons right away. I'm always looking for educators that I think are doing cool stuff. So if I find an educator, then I'll dive into whatever they're doing. So if, whether that's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, like in the, in the Facebook group or whatever, it's, um, it's always looking for, you know, something new to add to my repertoire. Right. And, and so that's, um, that's how I'm, I'm always thinking about that stuff. But like, as soon as school's done, there are definitely times when I take breaks. So like maybe a week or two right after school's done. So like next week and the following week, I might not want to touch anything education, but, um, but from then on, it's like, I'm, no matter where we go, what we're doing, what we're watching, what I'm listening to, whatever podcast is on, I'm always trying to think about how I can implement this into my, into what I'm doing. Chris Chung is asking, um, I have two more weeks left of school. Any advice for finishing strong? First of all, Chris, we will all be praying for you, really, because that is a long, a lot longer than most of us have to do. Um, also, do you have any ideas for end of the year activities that work well for online schooling? So, Chris, I, you know, I thought I would. I thought I would do something fun at the end of the year. I. I'm exhausted on a level this year that just don't think anyone is. So like I even, I did a, we did a um, phone. So we've been doing phone calls, me and my friend Cho, every or Zoom calls every Friday with all the seniors. And then the front end of that, it was a lot of seniors were showing up for it. <laughs> and then I missed it the other night. I had a deadline on Friday night that I had to get to for a company that I'm working with. And uh, I just couldn't do it. And I knew it was going to be the last one, but I forgot about it. I probably would have popped in, but like I just forgot about it because I was like focused in on what I was doing. Um, so I text Cho after it and I'm like, no, dude, I forgot the last Zoom call. Like who was on there? I want to make sure I reach out to them and tell them I care about them. And like, I didn't forget about them. Um, and she goes, no, it's just me and one other kid. And we, we were talking about was like that these guys have to be so exhausted with zoom calls with trying to make things fun with school in general with sitting in the house that i just wasn't sure what to do um i think if i was going to do something though and i've considered it but i don't think anyone's going to go back on their school email now since school's finished um is create a video for students and just say like look the school year ended in a way that wasn't optimal it's not the way that i wanted to happen but i want you to know that i'm thinking about you i'm praying about you i am wishing for you and if there's ever anything i can do um, please let me know. And, uh, and then maybe talk about like some of the fun things that happened this year. Here's things that I'm so grateful for in the time that I did have with you this year. That's remember when this year. happened, remember when this kid did this thing or when Mr. So-and-so came in dressed like a banana or whatever the hell it was, you're reminding kids. And, and it's like a gratefulness practice out loud. 
telling what you're grateful for um, in the time that you did have. And uh, so that's that's what I would do. And and look, if it's not like if there's not like music and fireworks and stuff like that, that's cool. I think um, authenticity wins the game every single time more than like any kind of showmanship. What you got there, buddy? See, Tracy Pinter showed up for work. She was supposed to be working. (laughs) She got let out early. For her third job. Yes, here. Our friend Tracy and uh, Unicorns Rock, they come on here and they like make sure that, you know, the person I was trying to post nude pictures earlier gets kicked out and all the other wild people. Um, I know there's one. I'm sorry. It's hard to scroll when there's nope. so much. I got it. Conversation. That's because everyone's, isn't that awesome though, too? Like, it's like everyone's talking and it's like, you know, it's not that just the Reynolds show. They're coming on here to like see their friends and like meet up with, I like when people come last on one. in the beginning and they're like, we'll do the last one. Okay. It's literally the last, cool. last one. Um, when people say things like, uh, Hey everyone. And they start saying hi to one another. Yeah. Well, it's Chris, just so exciting. Chris just popped in. So. Uh, Cheyenne is asking, uh, who Chris Carson? Yeah, Chris Carson is getting better. Good for you, man. Um, when you have interns at the beginning of your year, how do you introduce them to both the students and the parents? So that's a great question. Um, so as someone that has had a new co-teacher, um, I've had something like seven, maybe eight, probably seven co-teachers in the last four years, three years, something like that. Um, That's a lot of co-teachers, man. That's like more than one a year. And so when somebody comes into class, what I do is, so last year I had uh, Kayla, who's been in a couple of the videos and Kayla came in and I, first of all, um, let them, I don't let them know that they're like any less than me, right? Like you're not like we're we're in, we are a team now, right? Working together. And, And so even though I'm very clearly like, sort of the lead teacher because she's jumping around different classes all day. When we are in here together, it's the same amount of respect. It's the same amount of authority. It's the same amount of know-how. It's the same amount of everything that we have together. Um, the other thing is in the beginning of the year, I do a slideshow about who I am and what our year is going to look like. And I make sure to implement them in that slideshow as well. So that it's like, I want this to look like, uh, like a co like we are, this is team activity here. Um, and then I think then it's up to them to sort of like make it happen for themselves, right? Like you can offer it up, but it's like, what are they going to do? So I think what I would do is work with interns about like, how are you going to meet, engage and interact with folks? Like, how are you going to let kids know that you're someone they can come to for help, that you care, that you're here to do the work, that you're excited about whatever it is you're excited about. How are parents going to know that stuff? So sharing in those responsibilities and in those interactions. So like Kayla will often eat lunch with me in my room with a whole bunch of students. Um, She'll stand in the hallway at the end of the day and interact with students as they're leaving, following up with kids, asking how their day was, asking, you know, how's your family doing? I know your mom was sick. How's that going? All that stuff. She's with me in that. And I think that students gravitate towards what they're most familiar with. And so if they see you in the hallway all the time, if you're asking them questions all the time anyway, when something comes up, when they need help, when there's a problem at home, when there's a problem in the classroom, when there's a problem with another teacher, they're going to come to you. And I think that that naturally builds that, builds that relationship. So, um, and 
whether you're calling home for an issue, like there's a discipline issue or a grade issue, or you're calling home to just say, hey, man, your kid's been doing an awesome job, and I'm really, really proud of them. You're doing that together. And so when I even speak to parents, um, I talk about – I refer to it as our classroom. I don't say like, hey, today in my class, today in our classroom, this thing happened because it's Kayla and I's classroom together, working together on stuff. Um, and so I think that that's, those are just like a few like little ways. You start talking about like the we instead of the I uh, changes a lot of stuff. You good? Uh, well, there's only one more, so you might wanna ask oh, sure. Jessica's. Jessica Small is asking, what are resources for teaching third graders about race? I, oh, ooh, hold on, just jumped. Um, about race, I am from, I am from generational poverty, and I feel like most of what's available is speaking to middle class privileged white people, and that's not us. So Jessica, I so first of all, um, if anyone has an answer, uh, just throw that in there. Um, I look, I don't teach third grade, but I have younger kids, and this has been really like so. This is my, I could be wrong. I'm going to share this anyway. Um, my kids have always grown up in a house where we have had a very, very diverse um, group of friends, right? So like friends from all over the world, friends that do not look like one another, friends that are different ages. Like some of my best friends are like in their mid twenties. Um, so, the, and men, women, older folks, like, like it's, it's a pretty diverse group that coupled with where I've always taught and my Children are always a part of my classroom, especially now, not so much that Brody's getting older now, but like um, they used to come to school all the time and just kick it with my students. That I think created a world for my own children where they didn't, they didn't notice or pick up on the fact that all these things were different or people are coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds or different races, religions and stuff, because it was so much just a part of their life. That being said, my son's at school the other couple, two years ago, something like that. And a kid says something about being racist, like called somebody out on something and said, that's racist. And Brody comes home and he goes, what's racist? And I was like, man, like there's part of you that is like, you know, and look, this is part of privilege. It's like, you have to let your kids in on the fact that like the world's not what they think it is when they're little, right? When they're really little. Um, so it was trying to have that conversation with my son, which is difficult, right? And, and just because it, it was difficult for him to process and break that down. But it was like, look, well, this is what racism is. And he goes, and so he like was like, oh yeah, we talk about like Martin Luther King Jr. in school. I'm like, yeah, you do. But like, you talk about certain aspects, but A not- nice version. Yeah, it's not like, it's not all of it. I found that the best, the way, so that happened. Right after that, the show Raising Dion comes on and um, on Netflix. Do you remember this night? Mm -hmm. This this was like a yeah. this was like a moment in the show Raising Dion, which is a story about a little kid. He's a black kid. His dad is killed when he's younger. Um, he's living with his mom. Um, he goes to this school that's predominantly white, and the assistant principal. They don't make a huge deal out of it, but there's a moment in the school where like there was a white kid and a black kid. Something happened. The principal blames the black kid, and and it was clearly a racist move, right? But my son goes, wait, pause, pause this. So this is us watching TV all the time. They we pause things so much it takes seven years to get through anything. <laughs> pause it. Um, 
what ju- why did he just blame Dion? He didn't even do anything wrong. Why do you blame him? I go, well, bro, that's that's racism. Wait, it was just because he was black? Like, that's why he blamed him? Yeah, bro, that's what that is. And so it was, it, what it was, what this moment was that I felt like it was such a special, like, bridge for our children was they saw it in action. They saw it play out on something that they were already locked in on with a character that they already liked, that they were, that they... Like, and it was like, I remember like Marley started sobbing on the, this is going to make me emotional. Marley started sobbing on the couch because, because of the, how unfair that was, but it was like pulling back the curtain and letting our kids see the world for what it is. And then that, since that moment has built into any number of other conversations where like Brody was riding with me to school one day and he goes, dad, why are all the, why are so many houses near your school beaten up? And like, they just kind of look like they're, no one takes care of them. And so talking about things like gentrification, talking about things like where people live and, and renting and like all the things that come up in that um, systematic oppression. It's like, if you sit your kids down and go, listen, let's talk about systemic racism in the United States. It's like, it's a, it's a lecture. But when, what we found was that connecting it to something that our kids already saw and saying, are you paying close enough attention though? Because if you are, you see the problems within, you know, culture already. So if I was teaching third graders, it would be like just shining a light on it. It is like taking a look at things a little bit closer to see what's actually there. And I, I, I think that that's, that's how I would do it. That's how I teach everything. Like whether it's like gender, equity, equality, freedom, racism, like any a number of things that come up in my class, it's like you have to make it personal and then teach through a lens that kids already are interested in, right? So that I also helps. said uh, apron educator and read like a rock star, possibly on TPT. Yep. I don't know what they um, meant, but that's their- Call Me Shivy's a good one. I think Dustin Ecker's excellent with that. He's on Instagram she's also. Not, she's not on Instagram. Oh, so-, so that's why I pointed her to TPT. Their resources are probably on TPT, but- if you're on Instagram, there are a ton of people to follow that are elementary. But th- those two educators, real quick, in Read Like a Rockstar and Apron Educator are Black female educators um, that create resources on yeah. for folks to use in having the, in bridging those conversations. So, sorry. Yeah, that's it. Cool. All right, gang. That's all we're doing uh, for the week. Look. Holy smokes, that was two hours. It was. If you're out there in the streets, if you're getting, uh, you know, if you if you are if you're doing whether you're out in the streets, whether you're on Instagram, whether you're, you know, do, supporting folks in some other way, please be safe. We're really thinking about you. And like, I just don't want, to, I, I just want people to be safe. Um, if there's ever anything I can do, please reach out. Thanks for all the support on the video the other day in which we were talking about race. It was really well received. And I'm really just honored that those folks would come on and like be vulnerable and, and honest with, with, with the group of us that were on there it was really something to just even be a part of. Um, and look, uh, all that I'm doing is for educators trying to help and empower educators. So whether it's like you grab the book um, or you become part of the Facebook group or you sign up for mentoring, like all those things exist um, to help folks to go deeper and to be the best educators that they can be for their students. Cause education is only ever about the kids. So that's it, everyone have a great night. Peace.
And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.